What I wanted to do today, just very briefly talk about something which I haven't really talked about, but really it's, it's a very important part of, uh, of what we're seeing now, which is the messianic process. And that is a, a question which I dealt with. I offered some uh, explanations, but, I, but really I believe there's something much more fundamental, which I think is important to understand. <clears throat> Everybody out there is looking and seeing what's happening with the United States, the House of Representatives, especially now that all of this is now basically public. And everybody's watching and seeing that basically, you know, all these people, witnesses or whatever, there's really nothing there. You know, it's all hearsay. Uh, and in fact, you know, they, they just can't come up with any crime. And the, the question everybody's wondering is like, so why are, you, is why are you so, why are they so adamant in trying to press charges or to try to impeach Trump? This is the question. It doesn't make sense when you think about it. How can, you know, the House of Representatives, which is really should be a distinguished body, and they're basically, most of them are lawyers. We're not talking about laymen. We're talking about here lawyers, you know. You'd figure a lawyer can see if a case is good or not. And, you know, obviously, uh, you know, if witnesses are all based on hearsay, right? So then, of course, the case is absurd. So then the question is, if these are lawyers, and they're trying to pursue something that would be thrown out in a court of law, None of this, and none of these witnesses would ever be acceptable because it's all hearsay. Nobody really saw anything. And even uh, whoever was on the phone call, uh, let's say Zelensky, whatever, the, uh, you know, uh, the, uh, uh, whatever, Prime Minister of Ukraine, Ukraine uh, he himself denies it. So then how can they have, in many ways, the, uh, do we want to call it the gall? The chutzpah, or the, uh, the um, irrationality of trying to impeach Trump. So what I want to try to do is mention, there's really another reason, which I had mentioned previously, the, uh, uh, several of the reasons, you know. One is which uh, I mentioned that uh, the uh, Sutton is about to lose his agent. And the main agent of the Sutton, of course, is Asaf who in modern day terms is really basically, uh, you know, uh, certainly one of them is, is, is America. And America is slowly turning, especially Trump, toward Israel. Uh, the second thing, of course, is that the Sutton is um, uh, tremendously panicking because we are entering, we're getting very close to the redemption, as I pointed out, in different shurim, you know. I also mentioned uh, a while back that what God is doing uh, slowly is showing Jews in America that, hey, look, you know, this is ridiculous. They're trying to destroy a person that is very good for Israel, you see. And uh, not only is he very good for Israel, right, um, but look what he's done to the economy. I mean, he's done a great job. Anybody who could take a look at what he's done, forget about who he is and how he acts, but he's obviously a very highly competent president, even if you don't like his tweets or his character, whatever, you know. And uh, so the question, of course, so they begin to realize that, wait a minute, if this can be done in America, so whatever happened to what's called in Yiddish, the golden of Medina, whatever happened to the America as a promised land, there's something wrong here if this is what America could do. Like I mentioned, it's a violation of the values of the Constitution, and so on. But the truth is, there's something else going on, which I really wanted to share with everybody. And it's much more uh, connected to the Messianic process. And that's what I wanted to, you know, at least part of the shir to mention. I think it's very important to understand, you know, uh, what, what are the requirements even if you're what's called a tevshe be'esav, even if you're the good part of Esav, however, it doesn't work that simple. There are still requirements. So I just wanted to, you know, briefly talk about that 
which I think really in many ways is very important. Now, <clears throat> we know, you know, we know that uh, basically um, there are, we, we know that the tikkun, the rectification of creation is done by um, mitzvahs, commandments, chufa, repentance, and yisurin, which is suffering. We know that. Now, the one who administers yisurin, we also know, I've mentioned before, that there are really eight persecutory agents. There are eight countries that when Jews have to be punished in order to atone for whatever sins they <coughs> did, then God assigns this persecution to eight nations. And the interesting thing about it is that when a nation does persecute the Jews, they become great. I've said this in, in the past and so on. And I mentioned, of course, who they are. Uh, the first one was Egypt. Then there's, of course, Babylon. There is uh, Persia. There's Greece. And there's Rome, right? Then I mentioned also there are three others. Uh, you have what's called Yishmoel, Islam, or the Arabs. Then you have, uh, besides Yishmoel, you also have the Erev Rav, which are the Jews that really, in many ways, contest the whole validity of the Torah. And you have Amalek, which ultimately is in many ways the last nation. Um, so therefore, these are the eight nations that in many ways persecute the Jews, and therefore they serve as uh, the uh, agents that will administer suffering, and therefore the Jews will have what's called a kapora, an atonement. So therefore, they can achieve what's called an expiation uh, via these nations, and of course, uh, you know, uh, that serves them with the ability to get the future world. Now, I also mentioned, now uh, that I mentioned Rome, but again, who is Rome and so on? Who is Asaph? Because Asaph is not only the uh, is not only a persecutory agent, but it's the greatest of all the persecutory agents, and it is the longest. You know, it's been around with us as in, not in the form of Rome, which I will mention, but it has been around for a long time, thousands of years, and uh, therefore Asaph is the greatest of the persecutory nations, and it is the longest. It all started, of course, with Asaph. Asaph became Edom, which is a nation. Edom became Rome. The Torah says Esav is Edom. The Gemara says, the Talmud says, that Rome, that uh, Edom is Rome, Zuroimi. Okay, um, but what's interesting, of course, is that God decided that he doesn't want a nation, or rather Rome, a nation to be the, the greatest persecutory agent for the Jews, because that would mean that until the Mashiach comes, Rome has to be the major dominant force or nation in the entire world. And God does not want that. As it is, Rome was, you know, a nation uh, for at least uh, probably close to a thousand years. And then the one in Constantinople won even another, another thousand years after that. Uh, so what God did, which is interesting, he changed the form of Asaph. Instead of it being Rome, it became Christianity. And that's why Rome, which of course was in Italy, has so many Christian artifacts in the Vatican. You know, what's, that, what, what's, the, what's the artifacts of Rome doing in the Vatican? The Vatican is the seat of Christianity. So why does it have so many artifacts in the Vatican? Which, by the way, there is, you know, and so on. And the answer, of course, is that uh, the concept of Esau uh, as, uh, as Edom and as Rome was changed transformed into a religion. So therefore, any, any nation that has that religion can be considered Esau. See? So therefore, it's not one nation that is now 2,000 years or whatever, but it is a religion and any nation that has that religion predominantly is called Esau. And that's what happened, you see. Uh, so Christianity, of course, ultimately became Western civilization. So Ace of today is really Western civilization. Because Western civilization is basically Christian. And therefore that is considered uh, to be 
Esav. Uh, so I, I'd mentioned this over time previously, and these are very important ideas, this whole concept and so on, you know. Now I also mentioned, which is very important, that Western civilization really is divided into three segments, all Esav. The first segment is Russia, but Russia formerly was the Russian Orthodox Church. So therefore it was Christian. But Russia really became Esav to a much greater degree in terms of its evil during communism, you see. And uh, so Russia is the first aspect of Esav. Because if you remember, Esav had three, uh, uh, three types of character traits. One was tremendous amount of arrogance. That was one character trait. Because it says that Esav despised the firstborn. The second thing that uh, Esav had was pleasure. Esav was a pleasure-seeking individual. Tremendous. Okay. And therefore, that characteristic is taken over, uh, the, well, the pleasure aspect is taken over by the United States. And the other aspect, which is that Esav is also an imposter, is Europe. Because fundamentally, Europe that preaches peace and loving kindness and all that has probably killed more people in the name of Christianity than all other religions combined. So what are we looking at? We're not looking at a religion of peace. We're looking at a religion that has killed unbelievable amount of people, which I've spoken before, you see. <clears throat> and what's interesting is we know Esau uh, is always uh, defying the righteous and you know in uh, in what what is uh, good and righteous and, and and so on. So when you think about that, if you take a look at Russia under communism, they of course deny God, atheism. You know, so uh, that's how they would manis manifest uh, as Asaph and so on. You know, Europe of course, uh, which is basically Christian, they deny the Torah. Because they say God gave a new Torah, which is called the New Testament. So they deny what they call uh, the, uh, the uh, Old Testament. Of course, there's nothing old about that. Uh, they deny the whole concept of Torah as legitimate. And then now it's replaced, of course, with the New Torah, New Testament. Uh, so therefore, they deny Torah. You see... <clears throat> And uh, what is interesting is that the United States, and we know that, is now becoming more and more anti-Semitic. There's a tremendous rise in anti-Semitic uh, activities and so on, you know. So in a certain sense, the USA, in that form of anti-Semitism, is denying Jews. That's what anti-Semitism is. It denies Jews. You see. <clears throat> so therefore, we have an understanding of who Esau is, who he was, who he continues to be, who he is now, and this, of course, is very important. Now, one of the things that we also know is that the whole concept now <clears throat> is that in the end of time, Esau comes back. He does tshuva. He does repentance. And I mentioned, I gave a whole shir on that quite a while ago, a whole concept of Esau, you know, that he comes back and why he does tshuva, and, uh, and, and so on, and that God is allowing him to, to uh, be part of what's called the Tikkun process to help the Jews, restore the Jews to their greatness. We know that. Okay. Now, if we take a look to understand, and this is very important, what is the real relationship between Esau and the Jews? So let's get back to the Torah, where Rivka, she, she had conceived and she was pregnant. But there was something wrong because there was a tremendous amount of turmoil in her pregnancy, you see. And as it says in the Torah, and she had no idea. Whatever was, uh, you know, in, uh, as, uh, in the uterus and so on, was wreaking havoc with her. It was causing her an enormous amount of pain. She had no idea who it was or what it was. She didn't understand. There are many commentaries about what her thoughts were about this. But anyway, what she did wound up doing is she went to Shembeva, the yeshiva of Shembeva, where, of course, uh, you could find prophecy. Uh, and they told her, she asked them, what's going on here? 
whatever the question was. But how do I understand this tremendous pain that I am having because of the pregnancy? So they told her four statements, which are very important. The first thing they said to her is, uh, This isn't one kid that's wreaking havoc in you. It's two. The twins here. Okay, but it's interesting that the Torah expresses that Shnei Goyim There are two nations. Now the interesting about Goyim is the Goyim means, of course, a nation. Is that the word is not the the word Goyim is spelt with Gimel Yud Yud Mem instead of Gimel Vav Yud Mem. So you could read it as Goyim, which Rashi comments on. Goyim means exalted, very sophisticated. So therefore, the first statement of the prophecy is that there are two, or what will be two, exalted nations in you. That already tells you something. We're not talking about, you know, some guy's going to come out and eventually he's going to have a nation. No. <clears throat> These are two major nations that are going to derive from you. That's a very important concept that we're looking here in that exalted status. Of course, we know what the status is. The Jewish nation that does the tikkun, does the rectification of the entire universe, right? That's number one. Uh, and the other one was, of course, Esau, who were destined to be Rome. And they, of course, would be one of the greatest civilizations the world has ever seen. And they are responsible for so much of mankind, the modern era and so on. Uh, and they, of course, would be the uh, tremendously exalted nation. So that's the first thing, first statement. Second statement, right, that they will be separate. They will be separate, which means that it's not that they will have twins and they have the same views, no. They will have two different worldviews, values, goals, and so on. And their attitude toward the world and so on. Uh, so that's very important because it says that there are two very great uh, exalted nations that will be in many ways diametrically opposite in a certain way. Really different, uh, different uh, views or philosophies of life. So that's the second thing they say. The third thing they say, One kingdom will try to surpass or dominate Another kingdom. Now, Ula'oim is a kingdom. So what it's saying in this prophecy statement, uh, that the relationship between the two of them is con constant conflict and rivalry. Each one will try to dominate the other. Since both of them had a tremendous exalted status, each one is going to fight each other. And that is their relationship. And that will go on basically for all time. See, they know that each one is trying to dominate and control the other. And when one is high, obviously, that means they've dominated, then the other one will be low. So if Esau is high, then he has succeeded in dominating, right? And therefore his kingdom, right, surpasses Yaakov, which is the Jewish people, okay? Or vice versa, reverse where Jacob, Yaakov, his kingdom will dominate, and Esau, of course, will be uh, subservient to Yaakov. But they're basically never equal. It's like a seesaw. You know, when one is high, the other is low. When one is high, the other is low, and so on, you know? They're never really equal. There's always somebody on top, just by the nature of the seesaw, you see? That's a very important idea because the Novi, the, what the prophecy is saying to Rivka is that there's no such thing as equality by these two nations. One will, what they're trying to do, each one is going to try to dominate and therefore what? If you think about it. If one nation dominates the other, right, the kingdom, we're talking about the kingdom, right? Then what happened to the other nation? They are dethroned. Let's look at that, right? They are dethroned. You see? Because that's really what we're talking about. When one nation, right, wants to, uh, what do you call it, um, take over, right, control and so on, right? 
uh, everything, and therefore they want to remove the kingdom. So if Esau dominates, he will try to dethrone, which means to remove the throne, to take off the power and the might of the Jewish people. So we're really looking at one kingdom versus another kingdom. We're not looking at two different people, you see. Because the prophet is not saying there are two people in you. It says there are two exalted nations in you. That means we're not looking only at the rivalry between two people or a group of people or two tribes. We are looking at the rivalry of two kingdoms where each kingdom will seek to be the ruling power. You see? That's a very important concept that the rivalry is not between people or tribes. It is between kingdoms, which means that one will dethrone the other kingdom. That's what it means. <clears throat> Yet, the last statement, Rav Ya'avoyt So'ir, the older will serve the younger. So, what is that supposed to mean? You know, if we see that there's a constant rivalry between two kingdoms, right? So what does that mean? Is that the older will serve the younger, right? Is that, a, in the end, a resolution? Is that what will happen ultimately? And the answer is yes. The older means whoever comes out first will serve the younger. So if we, of course we know Esau came out first, and of course we know Yaakov came out second. So that prophecy would say that Esau is going to serve Yaakov. In other words, that's the resolution. You shouldn't think that this is going to go on for all time. No, there's going to be a resolution. You see, but in what context, you see, because what happened was eventually, which I had mentioned quite a long time ago, that really they're both of us. They're both patriarchs. Their father is Yitzchak, right? And their mother is Rivka, right? And they both have this incredible divine mission to do the tikkun. Yet we see, therefore, that this is not simple, you see that one will try to subdue the other, so you begin to wonder what happened to their divine mission of Asaph or whatever. Uh, so therefore, I mentioned a long time ago a very important point that there's a medrash that says the word Ya'avoid, that the older will serve, Ya'avoid the younger. What that means, okay, is that whatever happens, the resolution must be where the older will serve the younger. That's the resolution, you see. So in what, may, in what way? What is that supposed to mean? So therefore, the older will serve the younger if the older re remains righteous. Because that's really the job of Esau. The job of Esau is to serve Yaakov. Why? Because the job of Esau is to contend with the world, the physical world, right? And to subdue it toward righteousness. To channel all the physicality towards spirituality. And of course, the job of Yaakov is spirituality, you see. Uh, but Esav can do it one of two ways. This is what happened, you see. Esav can do it by becoming, as an of, interesting, right? He can do it by becoming a persecutory agent, which he became, right? Or he can do it by, uh, by helping Yaakov spiritually and assisting him to do the tikkun, one, to do the rectification, and to protect him from nations that want to destroy him. So he can do it one of two ways. That's why the Medrash reads, it's either Ya'avoid, the older will serve the younger, or Ya'avoid, the older will persecute, afflict the younger. Either way, that will be the resolution. But in the end, even though the older will contend with Yaakov, right, the Asa will contend with Yaakov, that contention is service. Really, he's assisting Yaakov Avinu. In what way? So therefore, the relationship we now understand very clearly is what's called to dethrone. That's the relationship. One seeks to dethrone the other. We're looking here, remember, not at people. We're looking at kingdoms where one seeks to subdue totally the other. Impeach. You are beginning to think. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm building up logic. 
you know, what, what really is going on, and so on, right? <clears throat> so we see, which is really very important, the real relationship between these two people. The very important idea. So uh, we can imagine, right, that this has been going on for what? Thousands of years. You know, whether it be through Asa or Edom or Rome or Christianity or Western civilization, for instance, Europe, with the Holocaust and so on, they have been wiping out the Jews, you see, which is obviously a very important idea. <clears throat> now, where do you really see this also? Because again, in the end of Parshish Vayishlach, it, 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 uh, the Torah says, and these are the kings, it's about to enumerate the descendants of Esav. So it says, and these are the kings, right, that dwelt in the land of Edom before there was a king in Israel. And it enumerates eight, eight kings. That's what it does, you see. Now that's also very interesting, because the Torah clearly says that there are kings among Esav before there was a king of the Jews. Now, it's interesting that the Zohar, Kabbalistically, that it calls these eight kings, right, it calls them the root of evil. That's what it calls them, and so on. But what it says is interesting. It says the last king, which is Hadar HaMelech, you see, what he does is he overturns the evil of the seven, previous seven, which is interesting. You know, it's not, that even though there are eight kings mentioned, right, but, but the last one, Hadar HaMelech, overturns the evil of the seven. And that's why it's called Hadar. Hadar means Mahader, means to overturn. He actually overturns the evil of the seven, you see? Which means that the evil of seven, or the evil of these kings of Edom, will not always be evil. Because Hadar HaMelech, King Hadar, overturns the evil of the seven. It's a very important prophecy. <clears throat> not only that, but when it uses the concept of kings by, Esau, by Edom, it says these are the kings of Edom that ruled before the ruled name Meloch Melech, a king, one king. Doesn't say, it should say these are the kings of Edom that ruled before there, before there was kings of Israel. Doesn't say that, you see. So what that means is that <clears throat> Hadar HaMelech is going to precede the king, the Mashiach. That's one of the signs that when this happens, Mashiach is right around the corner. Interesting remez. Very interesting, very powerful allusion uh, to what the Torah says. Now, what is interesting, right, is seven kings, eight kings. What is this? So when you think about it, right, before the Mashiach comes, then right, then who are the eight kings before the Mashiach comes? Historically, of course there had to be eight kings. But really, if you look at the end, which is the name Meloch Melech, before there was a king among the Jews, well, that's Mashiach. So in some aspect, there has to be eight kings. Right now, is there? Well, let's take a look. I said that there are three nations that have the characteristics of Esau, right? Uh, who are they? I mentioned Russia, especially under communism, right? <coughs> Europe, which is Christian. Russia was Christian until it became communist. Then, of course, you have the United States, right? And each one represents a characteristic of Esau. Russia is the atheism. Europe is the uh, fraud, the fraudulent aspect, and so on, because they killed everybody, you know. And America is the pleasure part of Esau. I mentioned that. You see, <clears throat> so if you think about it, one of the signs before Mashiach is these eight kings, seven of which are evil, and one of which is okay. And he's Mahader, he overturns the evil of the seven. Who are these? <coughs> well, this is interesting. <clears throat> the Soviet Union, before it collapsed, had eight, I think they call them secretaries, although they're really prime ministers, or presidents, or whatever. They actually had eight of them. Who are they? The first one was Lenin. 
The second was after lemon Stalin. Third one, gotta know your Russian history, right? No, oh, no, a guy Malenkov. He was in the fifties. The fourth one was Khrushchev with the shoe. <laughs> if you remember that, and if you guys are old enough for that. You know. In the U.S., he banged because of the U-2 incident. He was banging his shoe, you know. Obviously, he's pretty angry at his shoemaker. Anyway, so he's number four, right? The uh, fifth guy was Brezhnev. Yeah, really evil people, you know. Then number six is Andropov. Number seven is Chernenko. Right? They're all Russian, true, dyed-in-the-wool, evil Russian whatever they call themselves, right? Okay. Who's the eighth? Gorbachev. Isn't that amazing? And what did Gorbachev do? He terminated Soviet Union. He terminated the Soviet Union. He's number eight, right? Just like this guy Hadra Melech in the Torah, right? And Gorbachev terminated the Soviet Union. Literally. You know? And you know when he terminated it? Do you know what date what date it was when he terminated it? Was I'll tell you. It was December 25th. What's December 25th? Christmas. He actually terminated the worst part of Aesov, which is Christianity and so on, right? At least that aspect of it, right? Communism and so on, on Christmas itself. And that was after the burial wall. I'll never forget when he did that on Christmas. I was just absolutely stunned. Because, because if you think about it, terminate the worst part of Asa, which is communism, on the very day that is celebrated as the beginning of Christianity, besides Easter. You know what I'm saying? So that was fascinating. So here you have eight guys in the Soviet Union, right? The last one overturns the whole evil of the seven. Who's that guy, right? The eighth, Hadar. His name is, what? Gorbachev. And he actually did it, you see. But not only that, right? Not only terminated it, but there is something fascinating. <coughs> the, the gematria of Hadar HaMelech is 304. That's the same gematria as Gorbachev. Figure it out. Yeah. The, gemat, the very gematria of Hadar HaMelech is Gorbachev. Just count the word also amazing uh, but the important thing in this uh, besides representing the Soviet Union and that the Soviet Union will collapse which is the worst part of Aesop right before the begins of Mashiach and after that it was much easier you know then there was Yeltsin and Putin like I said you know Putin basically loves Jews remember I told you what he said once had a whole meeting that the rabbis from Israel came to sit with him and he says you know it's a lot of anti-Semitism in Europe. Why not let them come to Russia? So, you know, let them come to Russia. And we'll treat them great. You imagine the Soviet Union saying that? It's unbelievable. You see? <clears throat> but obviously things are going, re reversing itself in the Soviet Union, at least as far as the Jews are concerned. I mean, look what they do. They do. The Soviets allow the, the Israelis to bomb Iran or whatever they're bombing, you know, Syria and so on. And they allow them. This would never have happened on the Brezhnev or Chernenko or Khrushchev. This would never have happened. Not in a million years, you see. So clearly the Soviet Union is changing. See, so Hadar Melech is the guy changing it. And it started, of course, with Gorbachev, which is fascinating when you really think about that. Okay. Uh, but what is important to know is this. Is that <clears throat> we're talking about Malachim here. We're not talking about people. We are talking about kingdoms. And that's the idea, that they ruled kings of Asa, of Edom, right? Before they ruled a king in Israel. So what you're really talking about is one kingdom versus the other kingdom. And there's always rivalry, always, you see, until the end. You see, when the rivalry that exists between Asa, right? And, or the, between Esau and, and the Jewish people, in many ways, will terminate. And that's part of the concept of Hadar Melach. 
that he will reverse the evil of the seven. So even the worst part of Esau will change, will no longer be that rivalry. You see? Now, therefore, what has happened so far? With this understanding, we now understand something very important and in many ways fascinating. <clears throat> what the Barsham has allowed, as I've mentioned many times, he has taken a figure, Trump, right? And he's allowed him to be, right, a messianic figure. The, as I mentioned, is the Mashiach of Edom. It's a messianic figure, you see. And true to the whatever, you know, the, 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 uh, the description, he's been doing incredible stuff for the Jewish people. Really incredible stuff. In fact, Trump just recently said he went to some type of, uh, you know, uh, dinner or whatever, you know. And he said, you know, maybe I, because what's happening in Israel is incredible. They can't put a coalition together. Which, uh, you know, hopefully that's the end of the era of Rav. But anyway, he said himself, maybe I should run for prime minister. <laughs> yeah, everybody, Israel, 98% of the population loves the guy. You see? So he said, maybe I should run for prime minister. It's quite interesting. <clears throat> uh, maybe he should. Anyway, not a bad idea. But anyway. He calls himself the king of Israel. Who? Trump. He calls him the king of Israel. Yeah. Yeah. Why? Because he's, he's Esau. And Esau is returning. So Trump is the Tov Sheba Esau, you see. But what's the problem here? <coughs> There's a problem. Because Trump is battling who? He's battling the evil of Esau. Because America really has both. It has the good part of Esau and it has the bad part of Esau. Basically what? the Democrats, the liberals, the progressives, you see, and so on, you know. They're fuming, or I should say, their angel is fuming. Why? Because what's the, uh, what's the point of all this? The point is to overthrow kingdoms, right? Where, uh, in many ways, Esau wants to overthrow, or the kingdom of Esau, Edom, wants to overthrow the Jewish people, you see. So therefore, what do they do? They are trying to overthrow who? The President of the United States, which is the equivalent of a king, you see? Because the real job of Esau, right, is to overthrow the Jewish people. That's what they've been doing for thousands of years. All of a sudden, you encounter a guy, what's he doing? That he's overthrowing, that he's not only is he not overthrowing Israel, right, he comes to their assistance. It's incredible, right? He assists them, moves the embassy, declares Jerusalem to be the capital, gets rid of the, uh, what do you call it, the, uh, the PLO and, all, and so on and so forth. Not only is, so he's doing that, so not, not only is he assisting them, he protects them. The UN, Europe, in every which way, he protects the Jews. He even goes to bat for them, you know, and so on, which is incredible, you see? So who will be mad at this man, really? Think about that. The one who is angry at this person is Esau himself, the bad part of Esau, you see. <clears throat> because that was the, for thousands of years, that's been the what? The state between them, the rivalry, the desire of one kingdom to overthrow another kingdom, you see. <clears throat> so that's a very important idea why there's an impeachment taking place. What is an impeachment? to overthrow, to dethrone the king. It's basically what it is, isn't it? It's what the impeachment is, to dethrone the king. Oh, you see? But why is it happening here? And the idea is because he, instead of dethroning the Jewish people, like Obama did, basically, you know, where he f was trying to force them to capitulate to the Arabs, he is assisting them. So therefore, that's the Muslim, you see, which is really very important, <clears throat> that the ones against him are the ones who themselves would be active in dethroning the Jew, which is the bad part of Esau. Think about that. It's really incredible when you think about that. <clears throat> so therefore, since that's their relationship with the Jewish people, well, of course they're gonna impeach Trump. He's the exact opposite what the essential task of Esav is to dethrone Klai Israel. Right? One will do what? Right? One will be mightier, 
seek to suppress the kingdom of the other. That's exactly what Trump is doing, the exact opposite. So, of course, who's going to be angry at this? Esau, Edom, right? America. That's what's happening. Uh, that's why there is such an irrational idea of what is happening. Why you find America trying to dethrone itself or the president, which is the equivalent, equivalent of a king. Interesting concept. That's why what we see is irrational stuff taking place. The second idea as part of this is something different. Look, Asaph, you want to be good, part of Asaph? Great. You want to help the Jewish people? Great, right? But wait a minute. What about the thousands of years, right? You have subdued their kingdom, Israel, and you have caused them unbelievable amount of pain. Who is going to atone for that? Think about that. Who is a kapora for this? You know, before you can do anything, right? You have to atone, you know? So therefore, what seems to be happening is that the atonement of Esau is being borne by Trump. Therefore, he is being over, they are attempting to overthrow him, to dethrone him. It's me, the Kinegan Mida, you know? You, Esau, have tried to dethrone the Jewish people for thousands of years. Guess what? God says, measure for measure, I will dethrone you, or at least attempt to dethrone you, and cause you unbelievable aggravation, even if you want to help the Jews. Somebody has to bear the atonement for this. Interesting. Think about that. Somebody wants to do tshuva or repentance, fine, you know. But what about all the evil that you've done for thousands of years, you see? So therefore, basically, somebody has to bear the punishment of Esau. Who? Well, the one who's changing. Trump. So, not that it's his fault, not at all. But it's like, in a certain way, we know that the Mashiach ben Yosef, when I mentioned the Yalkut, bears the iniquity of the Jew to help them survive. People who are assigned that type of a, a, a task or role, right, in many ways, they bear that type of iniquity or suffering in order to help others. Well, it's almost like Trump has been assigned not merely to help the Jews, but he also has to bear the punishment, suffering, and he is. He must be going crazy. He's been going crazy for three years, ever since he was elected. You know, it's, it, people wonder how in the world this guy uh, can... Uh, you know, suffer this. How do you stabilize? I mean, can you imagine for three years, you know, <clears throat> if a guy's got a court case, one court case, he goes out of his mind. To my lawyers and lawyers' fees, and then the judge and the prosecution, you know, you get a heart attack just from one case. These guys have been after him for three years with Mueller, right, Roman collusion. It's incredible, you know, and then they, then they go after him with obstruction of justice. You know, and then finally going after the Ukraine. You know what I'm saying? If he, if I, I mean, you know, if he, if he, if he steps on the White House lawn, they'll go after him for trying to destroy government property. I mean, it's it's absolutely insane, right? Uh, so, look, it's very hard to imagine his suffering, but it must be enormous. You know, it must be enormous. So that's part of it. It's not just Esau trying to destroy Esau because his job is to dethrone the Jews. Instead, you're restoring their throne, you're restoring their crown. What are you doing? But it's also, why does God allow this? Because Esau has to suffer for what he did to the Jews for 2,000 years. And the way, the form of the punishment is the exact same thing that they were doing to the Jews. You want to overcome and dethrone the Jews? Guess what? The one who is going to help them, he himself has to be under threat of being dethroned. You see? It's me the connected me the measure for measure. It's interesting what's going on. Because when you think about it, that's exactly what's going on. You know, the question of course is why? But in any case, I, you know, uh, so I wanted to talk about that 
in terms about uh, how we can also understand what is happening. You see, and that comes, you should know, when it comes, uh, because, for instance, when Rome fell, it fell and was over, but that was because it was a termination of that form of Esav. You see, but Trump will not fall. Trump is just suffering greatly, you see. So, on the contrary, this is to remove the Ketrugim against Esav, and there are. This is to remove the accusations. Well, why are you letting Esav do tshuva without any kind of compensation? Hey, where's the balance here? You know, can somebody do that kind of an evil and just walk away from it? No. And therefore, uh, that is a very great part of why he is suffering. Because he's the Teva of Shabbat you see, that's the reason why he's suffering. But it'll end, because there's only a certain amount of time that he will have to go through it, and, and that's it. Look, the truth is not just Trump, it's the whole American people, if you think about that. The whole government is completely occupied, obsessed with overthrowing Trump. It's like, there's nothing, the Democrats have not passed any significant legislation for three years. It's unbelievable. So it means that the country's not moving forward. That's what it means. You see, that's suffering. <clears throat> yeah, where everything is just held up, nothing can move forward, you know. And, uh, and therefore, there's a lot of things that have to be dealt with that are not dealt with at all, you see. So, the, in general, there is suffering going on in the United States. I mean, you think about it, just take a look. The United States is politically divided. You know, it's no longer what it was where it was one country and it was unified. Today, you have two different camps. And, at, and basically, in many ways, they are at each other's throats. You know, you have to, what, a, what, a, what a division. It's a political civil war, you know. And that's always very bad for a country. But that's what these suffering entails. That's a kapora before things can move on. You see. And uh, the same thing with uh, Eretz Israel. <coughs> There's a lot of things going on, and uh, we are very shortly going to come to a, a resolution in terms of what happens and so on, you know. But uh, anyway, any questions? Yeah. I'd like to disrobe of any thoughts you have on this recent attack. Almost 500 rockets this week. Oh, I, yeah. Do you, know, you know why that happened? It's just for what waiting for. What, what's, the, oh, okay. what's the connection to the Tikkun process? Why did the Islamic Jihad, well, we know why they did it, because Israel assassinated one of their top guys, right? Okay, and therefore they went bananas and they wanted to fire 250 missiles, whatever it was, right? Why did God want that? I mean, everything is designed by God. Nothing happens by chance, you know? They decided to kill him, fine. You know, but what put in their mind to kill him now? Oh, you know, if you think about it, it was a very important move. Why? Because people in Israel realize, they already said, hey, you know, we are at the brink of war. And if we're at the brink of war, we don't have a government. We don't have a government. Could you imagine not having a government? And therefore, you cannot pass bills. You know what I'm saying? You can't pass bills because there's no real government. Yeah, they can pass, uh, you know, uh, you know, the simple bills and whatever. But real budgetary bills to, you know, to give money here and armaments and, and so on, you know, uh, they can't do it because <clears throat> there's no government. So as it is, there's a tremendous pressure. Come on. You know, we need a government. And meanwhile, what's happening? Netanyahu couldn't put a government together. And what's his name? Gantz, you know, he's about to fail. This Wednesday is his last day. And right now, he doesn't seem to be going anywhere, right? Uh, so all of a sudden, what are they going to think about? Right? They're all nervous because there is nobody in charge. You see? It's like somebody walked out of his store and it's open. You can walk in and take anything you want. You see, so therefore Israel in certain ways is in a really dangerous situation. Of course, if need be, they're going to have to have, if they have to make a war, 
they'll be able to do it. You know, but this is not the way you want to conduct a war with no real government that really cannot pass uh, a normal type of legislation. You see, so therefore, when Gantz fails, right, what's going to happen? So they're going to think about right. Here's the problem. They're going to think about an election. Because what else is there, right? There's no coalition coming out of anywhere that we have to have an election, right? But what's the problem? Because the elections are first going to happen in March. November, December, January, February, March. Do you believe that for another five months there is no government? And you never know when Iran will strike, you see? And not only that, which is interesting, not only you'll have to wait five months, but what happens if the elections are the exact same results? Right? So what are they going to do? Get a fourth election? A fifth? A sixth? You know? Then they might, call, might as well call Guinness, World Book of Records, right? And say, this is the government that had the most elections in one year. You know, it's the most attempts to form a government. It, 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 you know, this was the laughing stock of the world. Right? And they're all nervous because this can't be. It's ridiculous. So what does God do? He says, listen, you're not going to do that. You're not going to have elections. You need to pick one member of the Knesset and he will do the coalition. So what God is doing is he's pressuring them not to have an election, but to appoint a man to put together a coalition, which I'm hoping is Gideon Sar. You see? But it's amazing. So what God has done is turned up the temperature, the pressure, you see, so they won't go first to the elections. They're going to first, go, Rivlin, hopefully, is going to go to try to pick a guy to, uh, uh, from the Knesset, one of the members, right, to put together a coalition. So and I believe it will happen. What? He's allowed to do that? Rivlin? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, he's allowed to Do pick anybody. Why? Will he could not be able to stop that? No. Because no. he wanted Netanyahu. Uh, they, no, first of all, he can't put a coalition. Well, I can't even point to God. Don't make a difference. He can't. He already had his shot 28 days with, a, with an extension. If Riven picks someone, he could can't. Riven can pick, as far as I know, Riven can pick anybody in the Knesset to form a coalition. Anybody. Because Netanyahu failed. Same thing with Gantz. So what's the point of picking them? You can't, right? So he's got to be pick somebody else. Yes. And yeah. Have enough money in reserve. And they they don't have for either for both for an election and for a war. They have to choose. Okay. <laughs> <coughs> what a choice. <laughs> you know, it's like Russian roulette. You know, which barrel is going to kill you? <laughs> You know, but um, yeah, so this really was very good in the sense that, you know, it, it, it's, 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 so now it's not only the fear that there may be a war and we have no government, there is a war. You know, I fight 200 missiles into Israel, you know, so they actually see, you know, what we're afraid of actually happened. This is all about God pushing them not to wait till March, because it's very likely that there will be a tremendous resolution before Hanukkah. Very likely. You know? Because Hanukkah is all about the messianic light. Hanukkah is all about <coughs> the rekindling, right? To rekindle, right? Spirituality, right? That's what it's about. And isn't that what the messianic era is really all about? Isn't the messianic era all about rekindling Ruchnius, spirituality, right? To rededicate the temple. Right? That's exactly what the Messianic era is. To finally overthrow the contaminants, right? The persecutors and all these people, right? And to appoint instead, right? The uh, Messianic figure, the Mashiach, right? So hopefully all of this will come, certainly a resolution before Hanukkah, you know? So this is the reason why the Mershom seems to have put, you know, the... Uh, this whole concept of the uh, the war, Islamic Jihad. The they didn't expect this no. for the assassination. Uh, no. No. Well, they had to get rid of the guy. Yeah, that's for sure. He was planning more attacks. More attacks, yes. Not one casualty. 520 rackets. Not one, yeah. Isn't that amazing? It's an S. It's like, it's like statistically impossible. You know, whoever heard something like that, you know? All those missiles? We're, that, we're, talking, we're not talking about firecrackers. With all my missiles, you know, and and, and now one <coughs> casualty, because the tachlis wasn't uh, 
harm Jews. The Tachnitz was to put a fire under them and say, hey, get going, you know. Do something. Appoint somebody in the Knesset and hopefully whoever that is will put a coalition and hopefully that individual will be, you know, Gideon Saar and hopefully that will be the end of the era of Rav. You know, we don't even really know yet what's going to happen with Netanyahu in terms of the indictment, you know. But if he does get indicted, it's over for him. Nobody will sit with him in the same government. Because it's, it's, it's an incredible shame and embarrassment to sit with a prime minister that's been indicted. That's bad enough he's under criminal investigation, all right? But to sit with him when he's indicted is impossible. Nobody's going to do that, you see? So therefore, that's yet to be seen. But uh, we'll see what the Barsham does, you know, in that sense, you know? <clears throat> but um, this, this week really will tell us what's happening. Thursday, they're going to come out with the store because Wednesday is the last day of Gantz so they have to know exactly what's happening Thursday you know I'm sure they're really thinking about that because everybody knows it's over I'm sure there's a lot of talking okay who do we give the the uh, the mandate to see to fix this place you know and the second thing of course is even if you pick anybody can they put together a coalition they got the same problem they have less days they only have 21 days Whoever it is has only 21 days. But I believe that, you know, hopefully it will be him and be able to put it together. Because the real opposition, by the way, is not the Likud, it's the, uh, it's Netanyahu. There are many people, I believe, that if, Net if Netanyahu is gone and uh, there's somebody else running, let's say Gideon Saar for the Likud, that he will be able to do a coalition because the main opposition is against Netanyahu not against the Likud per se. So if you have somebody at the helm, why not? Why not? You see, I think you have a great chance of putting together a coalition and then everybody's going to be absolutely stunned. Because it's very hard to believe that the era of Netanyahu is over. But the way the Bansham uh, orchestrated this is Nisim Vinaflores. It's miraculous that God pulled off what has never been done in history, that they can't put a coalition together no matter how they try, you know, that has never been done. And the Bansham pulled it off for just beyond belief. Because how else can you get rid of Netanyahu? Really can't. You know, he's very, he's, whatever, he's popular, whatever. Very strong figure, you see. Well, listen, this week, my next Shabbos, Right? We'll have an idea what's happening. Is it rough? Rough seem, seem getting worse in America? What was that? Is it rough foresee possibility of America getting worse? Because they didn't <coughs> election. Even Nancy Pelosi voiced concern that if the election, President's election next November is very close. Uh, she hinted it could be a civil war in America. Even she admits that. That's it. Crazy. It's absurd. Oh, is, is he a white national? I mean, they vote for Trump. I mean, things are getting heated up here in America. I mean, yeah, but they, look, you know, it's one thing if they had real evidence. They don't have anything, nothing. You know, I'm people saying, are... That's what we I'm saying we get past that. Trump's in, but the election now will take a year from now. And it's very, very close. I want to tell you something. In the end, think about this, right? What is the main concern to everybody, Right. But the check that they come home with, right now, it's historically low, 50 years. The, the unemployment for everybody, for Hispanics, for blacks, for Asians, for women, for uh, teens, it's unheard of. There are, there are, I, I, once, I, I heard that there's like a million jobs going begging for people. Well, so why would there be a revolution? I mean, in the end, the guy's giving you a check, you know, you're making money, you know what I'm saying? So why would they do that? For what reason? I mean, you don't like Trump, fine. But meanwhile, you're coming on with a paycheck every other week or whatever it is. So therefore what? You're not crazy. You see what I'm saying? You know, it's one thing, like in Bolivia, not Bolivia, uh, where is that, you know, in Venezuela. Yeah, I mean, it's unbelievable what's going on in Venezuela. Or even in Lebanon. It's funny, it's payback to Lebanon, you know. There's, 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 uh, there's riots going on there because people are, not making, people are not making money. You see, that's one thing. But if everybody's coming home with the cash, right? So, okay, you don't like the guy, you don't like his tweets, 
fine. So therefore what? You're living, you're making a nice living, you know what I'm saying? You have uh, security and, 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 and money and so on, so therefore what? It's not enough to go to war. You know what I'm saying? Why go to war? For what? You know, so you suffer another four years and you'll, and then anyway you can't run another after eight years. <coughs> okay, get somebody else, so uh, you'll bide your time, that's all. But uh, it's not worth it. What's the political war for? Because you don't like the way he tweets? So what? You know? I don't believe that. So. She doesn't know what she's talking about. She probably refers to the riots. What? She probably refers to the big, to the big riots after he got elected the first time. There was some violent protests when he got elected. Yeah. Oregon and... Yeah. But that's because he hadn't proven himself. Once a man proves himself, and the economy's doing fabulous, there's no regulations, the bureaucracy's gone, energy is tremendous, and so on and so forth, foreign relations, and then when China comes back with trade, you know, what's the point? So at that time he hadn't proven himself, but three, four years later, country's doing fabulous. That was my next question. Did Russia Trump dominate over China? So China and Russia will submit to Trump to be the second president. <clears throat> Do you see that happening? That's Trump's submission. You have to remember one thing. In in the end, it's not about China. It's not about anybody. It is about the return of the Mashiach the return of Ruchnia, spirituality. Once that happens, everything else is irrelevant. We're talking about a redemption. Who cares about China? You know, Jinping, whatever the guy calls himself, you know. Who cares? We're talking about the end of time. You know, we're talking about the return of God to the planet. I don't think God is afraid of China. You know, I think he sees China as a real rival. Trump is having an average who's going to win this trade? No, 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 no. They'll come to a meeting of minds. Of course. China wants money. You know, and they're losing an enormous amount of money with these uh, because the trade deficit is in, 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 in their favor and so on, you know. No, no, they'll, they'll come to terms. It just takes time. See, they have to learn that Trump means business. They all have to learn that. You see, they've never met a person like Trump. You know, who's not interested, doesn't care, will take on any challenge. And they see that. So what are they going to do? Commit suicide? Economic suicide? Most of their economy is based on America. Let's face it. All they have to do is last five more years, and then they get rid of Trump. They played the long then, game. Uh, yeah, okay, but they're not going to last five years. Why not? What, what's the point? Because, I mean, when Trump is... Re is <coughs> You have to remember, Trump is not asking for things that are unreasonable. He just wants it to be fair. They know that. They're not stupid. They're never going to settle. They're just going to give him a bone. Like, they started importing, after five years <clears throat> cessation, they started importing American chickens again. Yeah. They were in the paper, so. Okay. They'll give him a few concessions and just wait for him to be out of office. Fine. When that time comes, what about it then? No, five years is a long time from now. Have it here. Don't worry about it. I wouldn't worry about it. There's so many things. I'm worried for you. Right? <laughs> <laughs> so many concerns. Oh, yeah. I read the Mashiach lines here, you know. Trump defeats <clears throat> China, Trump defeats... Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's got to be more because you, line, you know. He's a Tosh of He's got to get the wall in Look, line. you know, you're looking China's at... The rubs is a whole... Uh, outlook, China is really not a player from the... No. Tikkun or any of this stuff, yeah. no. Not at all. It's just a nation that for whatever reason has become... Makes iPhones. Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah iPhones, yeah. That's right, you know. But anyway, the main thing is that um, things are moving ahead and the things are <coughs> hopefully very... Uh, like I said, hopefully there'll be a tremendous resolution by Hanukkah. Both in Israel and in America it's happening. You know, look, Trump is not even on the campaign trail. You know, look, he, he, it's, it's astounding. Has any president in history ever gathered as many people when he comes out for a rally? I mean, he fills up the stadium, that's 20,000 people, 30,000, right? Then he's got another 100,000 people waiting outside. <coughs> you know, how can a person like that lose? You know, 
And not only that, you see the Rebbe is taking out the, the other people, the uh, rivals, right? He took, he, he took Elijah Cummings and he ended his life. You know what I'm saying? You know, what? Literally. Yeah, when he plays, you know, so he's out, right? Then you have uh, what he called the Biden. Biden is up to his neck in scandal. Everybody knows what he did. He was sure he committed a felony. There's no question about that. Uh, and I don't stand this guy. He's on record as saying that in front of a video camera. <laughs> I told him to fire the prosecutor. What are you saying this for? Shoita, fool. You're admitting a crime because that's what it is. These guys, they believe their own invincibility, you see. They're convinced that I'm invincible. Nobody's ever going to use it against me, you know. But I guarantee you, Barr and Durham, you know, and Horowitz, these guys are going to go after him. It's a felony. You know, they're going to go after him, Hillary, the whole bunch of them, you know, and so on, you know. So DeRozan is going to take him out. Sanders he almost took out with a heart attack, right? And he's 78 years old. Everybody's afraid, even if you want to vote for Sanders, right? You know, you can afraid he's going to drop dead in the middle of his presidencies. So what's the point? You might as well vote for his vice president. You know what I'm saying? He's too old to be president, you know? And, uh, and so on, you know, and then Warren, forget about it. You might as well vote for uh, Putin. <laughs> why, why bother with Warren? Just vote for Putin. Although you should know, she's probably more of a communist than Putin is. Because Putin does not believe in communism. He just believes in dictatorship. You know, she's a communist. It's astounding what she's doing. And besides that, they catch her on so many lies. Ridiculous. You know, so then who's, uh, that's why Michael Blumberg is thinking of doing, uh, jumping in. Because he sees the whole thing as a fiasco. In fact, the Democrats are worried. Because they say there's nobody to run against Trump. If Biden's out, it's over with. You know, Warren, he's going to destroy Warren. You know, when he gets a hold of Warren. Forget it, you know. You know, he has, he's not even warmed up yet you know, for his uh, campaign, you know, he's not even warmed up yet, it's just beginning, you know, but the Bonsham is taking them all out, anybody, see, everybody, that, that, that itself should tell you that Bonsham is going to put him back and being pre to be president, you know, don't worry, it's going to be good.